Salmaya Salemma Ronawajinabi Salemma Salmaya Salemma Ronawajinabi Salemma Salmaya Salemma Ronawajinabi Salemma Salmaya Salemma Ronawajinabi Salemma Shalom Haberim Shalom choosers welcome to yet another edition of choose your own religion my name is joe thank you for tuning in that song you just heard is for the holy land by abraham jam and one of the members of the abraham jam is my guest today david lamott Uh, he's been on the show before and i really wanted to have him come back to talk about both this interfaith music project that he's been working on and uh, interfaith work in general as well as guatemala So uh, the Abraham Jam is this group of three guys, David Lamont, Billy Jonas, Dawood Warnsby, and the three of them together, a Muslim, a Jew, and a Christian, make this really awesome, incredible music that that blends influences from all three together. So uh, we talk about his music and about interfaith work in general today on the second half of the episode. But on the first half, we talk about Guatemala, because I recently went and helped my dad's church uh, with their ongoing partnership they have in Pala, Guatemala, developing literacy programs. And David has been running Peg Partners, which you can go to pegpartners.org to find out more about, um, which has also been helping develop uh, education in Guatemala. And uh, it was a really amazing trip. It's been about a month since I got back from it. Among the other things, it, it really just gave me perspective on uh, my own wants and needs and gratitude for all that I have. It, it, but it's really hard to describe and capture the feeling, the just how different things are there. there you know, that feeling of sonder, uh, the, the, that feeling that you get when you walk around realizing that everyone around you has a different story of their whole life that you just have no idea about. Um, it, that gets amplified when you're in a foreign country and uh, you have even less shared experiences, and yet uh, you all have the shared human experience. And uh, it, it was a really motivating trip because it's, uh, you know, it helps you see that it's not a given that any society or culture is the way it is, but that we have to be the agents of the change that we want to see. And you can see how very small differences, things that would be very minor to our lives can have a huge, massive impact on other communities. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. The last live Choose Your Own Religion went awesome. It was so great. Uh, and I'm so excited to say that the next one is going to be on March 29th at Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Church in Pasadena. Uh, I don't know who's going to be on the show yet, but I know it's going to be great. And uh, you can follow the Facebook page to find out when the next one is going to be. You can also go to chooseyourownreligion.com for more old episodes of this. Thanks for listening. I love you. Here's David Lamont. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind 
in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers? Know that you are blessed. I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best. And I hope that you choose your own religion. So, yeah, as I was telling you, um, before I just got back from Guatemala myself, it was my first time going. Um, when was the last time you were in Guatemala? Oh, uh, fairly recently, a few months ago. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll be down next, next month again. I, I, I think I have five trips to Guatemala on the calendar this year. Wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm there a lot. I mean, do you have any, have you kept track of how many times you've gone in the past 15 years? I think, uh, I, I did count up last year at one point early last year and I think I'm right around 30. Okay. Wow. Did you, uh, I was reading your, your blog post about, uh, how, you know, kind of what Peg has been up to and how far it's gone and how many uh, projects, um, you guys are supporting now. Is that, uh, did you see it getting (laughs) this big when you started it off? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I wasn't really planning on that. I think my intention in the first eight or 10 years of the organization was really to keep it pretty small, uh, partly because I only had so much bandwidth I could give it in my own life. And partly because I like the idea of small organizations. I like small efforts by normal people that have positive impact. Right. Um, and after those first 10 years, it kind of became clear that we either needed to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. And um, and there were some projects that came up and some things that we needed to either really make a big commitment to or step away. And the need was serious and we felt like we had the capacity to do it. And so um, what we did at that point was, and I'm saying we because there's a board of directors that um, works with me on all this stuff, but up for those first 10 years, I was really running this by myself, more or less, mm. um, with their advice and, and support, but largely doing it. And, um, and after that, uh, we decided really the best thing to do would be to hire a part-time director mm-hmm. to get things done day to day. And for me to become the president of the board and the board to support the director, but for the director to really get it done. So um, that's what we did. And uh, and that's been a really good thing. And it's allowed, because she has room in her life to expand this work, uh, it has allowed us to grow the organization in a pretty exciting way. So yeah. um, now we're into projects that are much bigger than anything we've ever done before <laughs> and kind of trepidatiously forging ahead and... and um, uh, excited about this year and also a little daunted by what we've bit off. Um, <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Exciting. And something, um, you know, something I noticed with, uh, so my dad's church has a partnership. Uh, they're doing their own solo kind of project. They're not part of a bigger organization either. Um, and they're, 
uh, they've been working mostly with one community and one church within a community, but really the larger community. Um, and that has, uh, I think it's been helpful mostly in the building relationships side of things. Um, and it seems that, you know, I wasn't there when they started going 12 years ago, I guess around the same time you started going yourself, um, slightly later. Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing that they have, uh, the people who have been going on those trips a lot say is just how important it is that, um, the people there trust the people of Pala trust them now. Um, cause a lot of people, a lot of NGOs, there's a lot of bad actors that come in or embezzle funds or, you know, visit once and then say goodbye forever. And that's not really a sustainable thing. Um, have you, right. has that been your experience too? that, that long consistent buildup? Well, I think that's been my experience in all of my life that, mm. that long-term relationships develop depths of trust that short-term relationships don't. And, um, mm. when you get through some hard things together, that really strengthens the, the understanding that the, relationship is real and deep and not going to evaporate. And, um, oh. I, yeah, that's, that's what, important. What is something that people, you, th- you think people just don't understand about Guatemala or Central America that unless they visit for themselves? Interesting. Um, so there, there are several things actually. I, I think one is that, um, there's a sense of place in Guatemala that is sort of impossible to describe for me um, without being there. There's there's a quality to the air. There's a a quality to the the spirit of the people that you encounter that is just a different frequency than than here. Um, and there are those sort of esoteric things that are that are kind mm-hmm. of kind of hard to describe. At the same time, um, there are some more tangible, practical things. I think people, even after visiting, people often don't understand the impact of the history of U.S. interaction with Guatemala and right. um, the weight that we're carrying there in terms of our support for the war on the poor in Guatemala Mm -hmm. um, that really peaked in the 80s, but started at least as far back as the 50s and and arguably around around the turn of the century. Um, And and I think it's very important to understand some of that history, uh, to know our own relationship in order to step into new relationships. and and I think there's also an under uh, I think people don't understand um, the depth of being a subsistence culture largely mm-hmm. out in the country, and how that impacts decision making when you're trying to work together and, and do a project. Um, right. People don't have bank accounts. You know mm-hmm. they. They are farming, and uh, and that's too broad of a statement. Some people, of course, have bank accounts, but but a lot, of, a whole lot of people do not. They are farming. They're eating what they raise. They're selling it. They're sharing it with their friends and families and communities. Um, and that is a particular lens 
through which to look at the world. And it is a very different lens from contemporary middle class white America, or United States, I should say. Mm-hmm. Of course, Guatemala is part of America. Um, hmm. So uh, I, I guess those are the yeah. three things that come to mind off the top of my head. And then yeah. I'll, I'll, add a, I'll add a fourth, which is that often when folks go on mission trips, uh, they have a tendency to categorize people as helper or helped. Hmm. And um, generally perceiving ourselves as helper and <laughs> right. Guatemalans as helped. And uh, that's problematic and lacks nuance that is uh, commensurate with reality. <laughs> so <laughs> my friends in Guatemala look at our community here and see an impoverishment of connection. Mm. Right? It, it blows their minds that people in the United States could actually not know their neighbors very well, mm. their immediate neighbors that live in houses on either side. Mm-hmm. That's just really weird yeah. from a Guatemala <laughs> It is <perspective>. weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they're right, exactly. It is really weird. Um, so I, I think... Uh, we have a whole lot to learn from Guatemalan culture, and they have some stuff to learn from us. And it's great to show up and be in relationship and see how we can all grow by knowing and loving each other. Um, and we bring some things that maybe are not as accessible there, and they bring some things that are not as accessible to us. And we are wise to come into that with humility and not with a sense that we are the ones who are generous and helping and uh and, and miss the point that way. Right, right. And one last thing, um, we keep getting to the end of one thought and another. No, no. <laughs> um, That's great. The, the other, I think another major misconception about Guatemala is that it's a poor country. It's not a poor country. It's a country where the wealth is staggeringly concentrated. Mm. There is, there are, I've, I read somewhere that there are more personal helicopters in Guatemala per capita than anywhere else on the planet. <laughs> wow. Um, right. There are, there are staggeringly wealthy people mm. and staggeringly poor people in Guatemala. And that is a cautionary tale for us here in the United States, where as the wealth gap continues to widen, this is where it goes. It goes to dire poverty and unspeakable riches. Mm. And that is, <laughs> that's unsustainable it's immoral and it's unfaithful yeah absolutely um that's uh and something you were you were saying about this it's a whole um lifestyle adjustment and some of the um the differences in subsistence living and uh in, in a farming community is well when i was there I, you know at my uh, day job background is in IT stuff. So I came down, yeah. I kind of, my, I, I was interested in what their, uh, what the computer lab that the church had helped fund, what that was up mm-hmm. to and what the status of that was. And I was, and, and what did you find? Well, what, what I thought was, what was great was that, um, their kind of systems administrator had been a program graduate, um, of the, the same program. And, 
had gotten has gone and had a, a university degree um, from one of the private universities in Guatemala, uh, which is a whole other aspect which I didn't realize is how uh, the public universities are in Guatemala are often um, in, they're often sometimes tougher to get into because they have uh, the government um, might have some some preferences towards uh, certain classes and certain races. Um, and the preferred classes are not the indigenous Mayan populations, uh, for sure. But um, Right, yeah, public and private are often kind of switched around in Guatemala in terms of our conceptions of what those mean. Right, right. Um, and so that I thought that was great. And then, but I was asking, I was like, man, it would be great. I could see one, it would be a great thing if, given the future of um, technology and how it's going to be increasingly important in everybody's lives and how it can make a world smaller um, and it can really uh, increase the opportunities um, in the, in the certain freedom of information age that we, we have. And I was asking like, well, are, do you have any people who are like kind of apprentices, like future nerds that are kind of toying around in here? Mm-hmm. And the impression I was getting was that there's really not enough time for most kids to, you know, it's not even something I thought about. They they don't have enough time like we do to just sit on our computers. We're not, you know, how we're nowadays when, you know, most of our kids are going to school and they're getting an iPad at school or they're on their, um, you know, they go to a computer lab for much of their school day right. and then they come home and they're on their computer and they have a smartphone in between all that. So, you know, they're, we have uh, this natural advantage because we're not, we're not doing manual labor as they're doing 364 you know, days a year, right? Maybe that's one right. day off a year. Yep. Um, that's right. And so that that's a. Uh, despite you would think like, oh well, you know, everybody as long as they have internet access, it's going to be, it's going to be great, and that's all they need. Well, that's not really exactly true. Um, yeah. No. And and they need teachers. They need actual teachers, right? To 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 teach them how to how to navigate this you know, an unimaginable trove of information and how to actually make it useful and, and how to think and not just, um, you know, to get, to get into critical thought and rather just, than just data, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 um, educational system in Guatemala is arguably where ours was about a hundred years ago. It's a, it's, mm. it's mostly rote learning. The teacher's, teach the kids to have their handwriting and to, I mean, literally it is not uncommon right now for a student to go home from school in Guatemala and their homework is to take a magazine article home, copy it down and bring it back. Mm-hmm. Right. As a high school student, mm. copy this over and bring it back. <laughs> Just give me back yeah. what I gave you. Wrote, wrote learning, no thought. Yeah. Um, and that's really problematic, right? And it, and it <laughs> yeah. serves a dictatorship really well, but it doesn't serve the kids very well. For sure. Um, and it is interesting because so, I, I, I... Go ahead. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say what we were you were talking and alluding to earlier was our um, the U.S.'s uh, relationship of the past 60 years, especially. Because um, I didn't... I wasn't really aware of... Uh, what the history was till I was, you know, on the plane ride down there and looking at different Wikipedia articles and 
going on a deep dive of uh, the history and um, of the United Fruit Company, now known as Chiquita Banana, which yeah. I don't think I can have another Chiquita right. Banana again. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah. It, it's, um, you know, there was a, you know, but there was a, uh, there was a democratic, I guess, revolution in the forties, it sounds like. Yeah. And, uh, yep. for, I think and one of the 53, we, we, uh, yeah, we ousted right. a, a democratically elected government, Jacob Arbenz, because he wanted to give back land that had been stolen by the United Fruit Company, only the land that they weren't using. Right. <laughs> Not giving back any land that they were actually cultivating. Just giving back land that they owned. And paying them technically back for it. And and paying them for it. Right, exactly. But right. making it accessible to the campesinos. And yeah, and, and we said no way and sent the Marines in. Right. And I believe um that, that leader you just mentioned, uh, I, his name I can't remember, um is uh I believe he was a professor he was a university professor or somebody one of the lead, yeah, one of the right. main leaders of that movement was yeah and so you just uh-huh. wonder i mean that when we talk about what i love about the name of your um your organization peg is that you as you talk about it's uh the peg is the thing on the guitar that helps tune it and so a small difference can make a huge change um in how things sound and the, it's almost a reverse effect you know that can have a negative implication too um where you know, you just wonder what's the ripple effect in the reverse way as if they, if we had had a democracy in place for 70 years, uh, that valued education yeah. for 70 years, um, instead of reverting back to right. a dictator, an anti-intellectual dictatorship. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I hear you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, now I'm just, uh, just preaching to the choir. Uh, but it is, uh, it, it's I that that's the stuff that just struck me as I don't know you just don't really you don't really consider or hear about those those things and I think too yeah. what's interesting I know last time we talked we talked about critical thought and artistic expression which are still is a part of your organization does um, yeah it, what struck me too was um, and I almost felt bad because I have some tattoos and I, I had them covered up at first. Uh, when I was visiting, and then the last day, they they saw them. Like the the people in the village saw them, and they were asking me about them. And they, they I mean, they thought they were cool and all, but I kind of felt guilty, <laughs> like I was showing off my my wealth, which I was, but I didn't realize it at the time. Um, yeah, but but I also think I think there's some there's something right about us understanding our own position. Yeah, and claiming that. Mm. Um, because it, I mean, part of what Guatemala has shifted for me is my sense that, you know, I never would have described myself as wealthy, mm. um, before I started hanging out there a lot. And <laughs> the fact is I'm filthy rich. I'm obscenely wealthy mm. in my 875 square foot home that three people live in, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Th- that, that, that sounds really moderate here in the United States and in Guatemala that's ridiculous seven people sleep in one bed in one room right and that's we're talking about middle class families right right not campesinos and um and so when we had a teacher up a few months ago who came up from Sanchach uh where we have a school and, and she um well they have a school that we support uh we help 
keep running. And and uh, my friend Tronita was here, and we were running around talking to some rotary clubs and doing some different things. And I drove one morning with her out to the country club where there was a rotary club meeting. And uh, I sort of sheepishly said as we drove through these mansions near the country club, I said, this is the neighborhood where the rich people live. <laughs> and she looked around, and her comment was, it's not very different. Hmm. That was her comment, wow. right? Because when you're looking from the perspective of somebody who's in the 20th percentile of international wealth, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the difference between the 90th percentile and the 97th percentile, <laughs> right? That's yeah. not a big distance. Right, right. So that context really matters. And I have to say, as a person of faith, the only context we should ever consider Hmm. is the context of humanity. Yes. Right? Totally. Um, I said, I I could talk to you about Guatemala for forever, but I also wanted to make sure um, I had a chance to talk to you about the Abraham Jam, too. Um, Oh, yeah. Great. So the Abraham Jam, from what I understand, uh, you just put out your album last year, but you've been playing with Billy Jonas, and um, lately it's, forgive me if I mispronounce it, Dawood Warnsby? Right, so Dawood's actually been there since the beginning. Okay, Billy, gotcha. Um, is now with us, uh, deeply rooted in the band. Um, though uh, Dan Nichols was the original uh, Jewish member of the band, and Dan is awesome and also very busy. And he <laughs> and Billy had an amicable handoff um, to switch places there in the band. So, what was um, what was the origin story of this? How did this come about? This idea. So in 2010, I was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I was working with the North Carolina Council of Churches. And there were attacks on some Muslim folks in the area. There was kind of rising Islamophobia. And um, the Council of Churches, which is an ecumenical Christian organization, um, was looking at this and and trying to figure out how to be supportive. and, you know, of course, anti-Semitism never goes away entirely either. And we were seeing some uh, evidence of that in the area. And so uh, the council kind of reached out to some folks. We were trying to figure out how to respond. And we checked in with some of our friends and allies of, um, of other faiths and and um, were asking how we could be supportive. And we had some meetings at the council trying to figure out what to do. And... My basic take on it was that when you want to have an impact on social perception, if you really want to move the needle that way, what you need is a movement. You don't need a hero. You need a bunch of people involved. Hmm. And um, and if you want a movement, what you need is students. And if you want students, what you need is music. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, so our thinking was, let's do a concert and and uh, express some solidarity and gather together and get to know each other better and, and see what we can do to shift the mood, um, at least here. And so being in Raleigh, there are all these universities around, and I went and talked to people at uh, NC State and UNCA, or excuse me, UNC, Chapel Hill, and um, Duke and... Shaw and Meredith and 
all these different schools. And I went and talked with some student groups that were religiously based on the different campuses and uh, talked with folks about this idea to see if they were interested in being on board. And, um, and there was some real enthusiasm about it. And then what I wanted was for the students to own this, of course, and for it to be their thing, not a thing that I was doing and inviting them to. And so I asked them, look, if I asked the Muslim Student Association uh, students, look, if you could get any artists you could to come and do this show, who would you get? And they said, well, you know, Tubman Warren's would, would be awesome. And I said, I don't know who that is. And <laughs> so I started looking into Stewart's music and checking it out. And it was awesome. And same thing happened with Dan Nichols. And Billy Jonas came up in conversation as well. Dan was living right there in Raleigh, so I reached out to Dan. And um, and when I reached out to Dan and DeWood and told them what the concept was, they were both they both immediately said, yeah, let's do that. That's awesome. Because most um, interfaith kind of music events like this tend to be really beautiful events, but not real high production values, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Generally, it's the kids' choir from this organization, and the um, you know somebody comes and plays piano from that organization, and then it's lovely, and you kind of check it all out, and it's fine, uh, but it's not professional, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's also sort of a smorgasbord. It's a taste of this and a taste of that, and some of it you, you enjoy, and some of it you think, and eh. um, so our thought was, how do we how do we undo that? How do we do that? How do we better embody what it is we're trying to say? And what we decided we would do is have this show with these three artists holding down the majority of the show and then also have some poets and dancers and such uh, integrated into the show. But with these three artists, and rather than us taking turns and each playing a set of music, us being on stage together the whole time and playing with each other. Yeah. Right. So backing each other up with a... Uh, solo here and there, or some percussion or harmony, uh, etc. So um, that's what we did, and it was such a magical, beautiful night hmm. that we kind of thought, "Well, oh, gosh, we got to keep doing this." So <laughs> we had a couple of inquiries from other places. We ended up going up to the Festival of Sacred Music in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then we went out to Salt Lake City for the. Uh, Parliament of the World's Religions, mm. thousands and thousands of people there, which we recently did again. It happens every three years lately, and we just were up in Toronto at the most recent Parliament. Um, that was an extraordinary experience. Mm. There were seven seven thousand people there, two hundred and twenty faiths represented. Wow! So, pretty that, neat place to be. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And what I what I love um, again, I'm just pulling lines from your website, but uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, when you talk about how harmony is uh, the difference between, um, I guess, unity and harmony is the harmony. We sing different notes that are you know beautiful and blended together versus, you know, all singing the same note, which yeah. um, I think, you know, you intended to be this and it's, it is this really cool statement on um, like as, as a model for interfaith kind of living and uh, an understanding because um, y- you know I think the danger sometimes uh, maybe the danger people I don't know fear out of 
uh, interfaith work. And I, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm an aspiring minister in the Unitarian Universalist uh, denomination. Uh Uh, And, you know, sometimes there's maybe a fear that like, oh, I don't like, does that mean I'm going to have to lose my own uh, religious identity if I have to, by, you know, submitting, if we all just try to like uh, change who we are or something. But um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea that uh, what you're talking about, not even just playing separately either, which is, which is cool if you're each playing a different song, but the, the playing together. And also what I love about some of your songs um, is that it, it will incorporate three completely different songs or on their face and then yeah. weave yeah. them into a, a seamless sort of, it's not even a really a medley. I get, I don't know if it's technically a medley or not. You, you're the musician here. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I think we're weaving it into one thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think that's really, I just think that's really awesome. Um, and do you find, um, have you found that these have, uh, the concerts you've done have sparked any, any additional dialogue from people? What have people said, um, after leaving your concerts? Have, have people been inspired to learn more about, um, Islam or Judaism or Christianity for that matter? Well, yeah, I think, I think people have learned things right in the show. Um, Dawood and Billy uh, and I are all people who take our faith really seriously, and we're not we're not casual about it. Um, we've done a <laughs> bunch of reading and a bunch of study, and and um, and and so all three of us speak pretty pretty clearly about where we are and and what's what that's about for us. Um, sometimes we'll stop in the middle of a show and take questions and uh, hang out oh, with cool. people and just chat for a minute and it's lovely to hear what people have to say but I think what's one of the interesting things about it is that I think sometimes when people approach interfaith kind of work or context folks are are sometimes concerned that it's going to water down their faith right right (laughs) and and what I have found is just the opposite Mm. like understanding learning from these guys um and and just seeing how they do their own faith has so deeply inspired me to go deeper in my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I mean just the fact that the we pray five times a day. When we're on tour, we work that into the day, right? And we'll be re- rehearsing, and the will say, "Hey man, I need to step over here for a minute, and let's do my prayers." And I'm like, "Great, you know what? I'm gonna take a break and say some prayers too," <laughs> because. I, I can't claim that I pray five times a day with regularity. On a, on a really tough day, I'll pray five times a day, but, um, you know, it's, right. it's not scheduled. And, <laughs> and I, uh, I find it's just deepened for me. Um, mm. and, and I think, as you said, you know, we do need that model for interfaith pluralism, but we also need it for intercultural work, and we need it for... Uh, you know, interpolitical work in our own families these days, you know, mm. how do we manage to be together, see things differently and be at peace? Yes. Because p- peace is not placidity. Peace doesn't mean that there's no conflict. It means that we're approaching conflict in ways that are constructive rather than destructive. And that we're able to learn each other, learn from each other and be 
be with each other in ways that are supportive, even when we disagree about things that are really important. You know, I, I, I think the the sort of one-on-one level of interfaith work is to say, hey, look at all this stuff that we agree on. Isn't that cool? <laughs> um, and that's great. But when you get past your freshman year, uh, and, and you get into the your first year, I should say, and you get into the the deeper work, then you start getting, oh, you know what? We disagree about these things that really do matter. This is important. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and is it cool for me to affirm your path and not be on it? Mm. Right? I, I, I think for me personally, now I have friends who consider themselves multi-faith, people I deeply respect and admire and learn a lot from, who really practice different traditions at the same time. Um, I'm not that guy. I, I'm not that agile. I need to... I need to walk on one path of the mountain. And if I can wave at my brother who's walking up or, <laughs> or sister who's walking up another path up the mountain, and I see that their path goes to, up the mountain just like mine does, uh, great. But I think the hardest work is, is going deep in a tradition yes. where you encounter things that are problematic um, and, and wrestling with those things. And if we... Um, if we just kind of keep it at the surface and take the bits we like from the different traditions um, and throw it in the soup, I, I don't know that that gets us to the depth that I long for. Definitely. In my faith tradition. I've, uh, yeah, not that, that certainly resonates with me and something that in my discernment process, you know, there was a, there was a period where I was discerning uh, my faith community and, uh, I had a more even generalized call to ministry uh, than I, before I knew what denomination I was going to end up being a minister in. Um, And it is something that I, you know, as a Unitarian Universalist too, I think it's an interesting dynamic because I think you could, you could either take the, the, the spiritual buffet approach, um, which many people do. And I think there's some, there is some, uh, some value to that, but I also know that, as you're saying, going deeper, deeper in one well can often get you more water. Um, as far as going deeper into a tradition and really understanding, I mean, and sometimes I, I, I realize that when I'm still like, I'm learning when I learn about other traditions like Hinduism or Buddhism, I've, I've forgotten a whole lot that I've learned once or twice. Whereas, uh, with Christianity, what I was raised in and inundated with, and that's my native religious language that I'm just so fluent in. And it's sometimes easier for me to go deeper because I don't have to remember the basic concepts um, Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing too, because um, I think when you talk about, uh, well, we, we we talk about like finding the things that we are ways we are different. Um, I think that's important. It, it's 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 hard to balance not wanting to have an ultimate claim with truth, um, mm-hmm. which I think is what pluralism is kind of about, but also having a lot of conviction in your own path too. And I guess it's that it is that many paths, uh, same mountain kind of kind of model. Um, yeah. And I guess I I guess I I'm good with people making a deep claim of truth. Mm. Um 
but I, but I, I guess for me, that hinges on the the idea that there can be multiple truths, and that um, you know Niels Bohr, the physicist philosopher, once said that there are two kinds of truths: there's simple truths and profound truths. The opposite of a simple truth is a falsehood, but the opposite of a profound truth is very often a profound truth. Hmm. I love that. Uh, and I, I, I do too. Like I, and I do find that when you get into the realm of the spirit, look, is it a particle or is it a wave? You know? Mm-hmm. It, well, it's both at the same time. Wait, you mean it alternates? Nope, it's both at the same time. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and, and I think, uh, sure, is there predestination or is there free will? Well, you can't have both. Well, both are true. Um, <laughs> are you the most important being in the world loved beyond your imagining by the creator of the universe? Or are you not even a speck of dust on the, <laughs> on the face of the universe right. or the expanse of time? Well, both are true yeah, at the wow. very same time, right? Um, so I'm okay with things that can't possibly both be true, both being true when you get to the realm of spirit. Um, yeah. And, and I guess, and I, and I feel like all religion at its heart is poetry. And I don't mean that it's something light and fluffy and cute. I mean that the, the, the essence of poetry is that it is an effort to gesture towards something that cannot be captured in words. It can only be referred to, it can be gestured toward, it can be pointed to. Mm. Right? And, and, and I think that's what religion is. It can never hold the truth. It can only sort of point the way to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and so when it comes to poetry, I don't argue with my friend and say, wow, you, you really love that love poem, and I really love this love poem, and your poem is wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? internet you comments know, will no, try to tell you that. They're both, trying, <laughs> they're both trying to describe love, which you can't do right. in a poem. But maybe you can evoke a little bit of it. Right. And invoke a little bit of it. And and that's, I think, the job of religion. Yeah. So it's a silly place to argue. <laughs> right. Well, as uh, as um, the f- the famous Zen saying, the description of Zen is uh, the finger pointing to the moon. Uh, yeah, not, there you go. Right. Not exactly. the moon uh, <laughs> itself. Um, Precisely. Which, which is also, that's another important thing, I think, to keep in mind. It's not... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's idolatry. It's, it's idolatrous in some ways to make the religion itself, the truth versus it is the That's conduit right. that helps you uh, see truth. Um, and yeah, it's the container. It's not the water. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're reminding me too of, uh, of why I loved the book Siddhartha so much. Cause I think his realization at the end of it is that, yeah, for every truth, there is an opposite equal. There's an opposite truth. Uh, it's just as, um, equally true. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I'm curious too. Uh, I, so I've been, um, I've been starting to play at, at one of my, uh, Unitarian churches. I've been doing, uh, helping out with this, um, this kind of monthly today inspired, uh, music service that, uh, incorporates a co- couple different things. Uh, have you, ever, have you ever heard of the, the concept of uh, the Hasidic concept of Nagoons or Nagunim? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I've I've heard of it and I don't know much about it, but it's a yeah. I just think it's um it's it, it just uh 
I think it just speaks really, it's, it's really interesting how it ties into the Abraham Jam stuff because, uh, so that, the idea of, um, of, of Nagoons, N-I-G-U-N, is that, uh, mm-hmm. and this is a Hasidic kind of, um, in the Hasidic tradition, that um, all songs sort of have a life of their own and sort of are kind of spiritual beings themselves. And um, they that, that's one reason they are passed down through... Um, over the years and they're, they're kind of kept alive through that way. Um, but what's also interesting is that they, they were often taken from secular sources, uh, in the cultures that, um, that, that are the surrounding culture. Like they might be pop songs, uh, for, you know, 19th century French pop songs, but, <laughs> Got it, right. yeah. uh, you know, in folk songs nonetheless. Um, and this, and, and one phrase I've heard it described is that they are, they see those songs as in uh, spiritual exile. Uh, and so it's the idea that they are, the song itself is inherently a spiritual thing. It's just all the matter of the context in which you're starting to use it and think of it as. Um, oh, fascinating. So. No, I had not gone, I had heard it as a kind of song, but not, um, I did not know all that context. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I was curious too if there was anything you had learned about um, the, the, I guess, the rich traditions of music through um, Judaism or um, Islam and their own musical traditions. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly learning a lot and uh, continuing to, um, and and of course, one of the things you learn is that it's not monolithic. You know that there there are broad streams of thought and art and interpretation um, within each of these faith traditions. Um, and, uh, and and it's fun to explore that. And, you mm-hmm. know, of course, in Islam in particular, there are, strand, there are branches of Islam that don't believe in music at all. Right. Um, also true of Christianity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and there, there's others, there are others that... Uh, only really think it's okay to have percussion and voice, mm, right? Um, but but not stringed instruments. And then there are others that say, "Yep, stringed instruments are okay as well." Um, <laughs> and that's an interesting thing for us to navigate uh, as Abraham Jam in the studio here. In our well, even on the live album, there are one or two songs that are only percussion and voice, mm. and that's a really fun thing to do sometimes. Um, I I also love strings and melody and harmony and chord progressions. But um but on the studio album we've got we've got two or three things that are only percussion and voice and it's interesting to stretch into that. Um I I think it's kinda cool to set boundaries for yourself and then see what you can do within that. Um I put an album out years ago that was a cello feature record and it was just cello percussion voice and acoustic guitar and then we tried to see how many sounds we could get out of those four instruments Hmm. voices acoustic guitars Mm -hmm. cello and percussion and we I I think it's a sonically rich album it was really fun it's called Change and uh, but, but it was interesting to just draw that tight box for myself and say okay what can you do with this <laughs> interesting artistic challenge yeah that's really cool um so before before we go thank you by the way for uh 
talking to me and checking in. Um, it's great to hear what you've been up to. Um, he, anything coming up? I, I think, do you have an album coming out? Another album with Abraham jam you, you guys are working on in the studio right now. You said, uh, yeah, we're in the studio working on an album that will be out by summer and that's exciting. And, um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on to the, uh, right now. I just talked to my buddy Shane Claiborne yesterday and he told me there's a documentary film coming out about this, um, kind of radical thing we did up in Philadelphia um, this past year where we took an automatic weapon and uh, melted it down and made plowshares out of it. Uh, oh, cool. Quite literally. Cool. And uh, then delivered that plowshare, that, that garden tool, to um, Senator Pat Toomey's office and asked him to work hard for uh, sensible gun reform. Mm. And That's cool. Uh, he, Shane told me yesterday there's a documentary coming out this summer that um, that I'm in in the front and the back of that documentary, so it's fun to be watching for that. And he's doing a 40 city tour coming up in the spring. I'm going to join him on a couple of those dates to do this again. He has these um, really neat Amish guys that he travels with that they have this forge that they set up and and stoke it up and, and burn down guns. <laughs> um, That's so, awesome. It's pretty extraordinary and uh, a <laughs> neat, neat thing to be a part of. So that's on the horizon. And uh, Abraham Jam's doing some neat shows this year. We're going to be playing at the Leaf Festival here in North Carolina. I'm oh, awesome. to that. And um, I'm playing at uh, Merle Fest for the first time, which is exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm working on a steady guide for my World Changing 101 book and uh, yeah, there's there's always a bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> That's awesome. And what's the best way to support Peg if people want to support Peg? Oh, thanks for asking. So the work in Guatemala, um, yeah, this is our, our biggest year yet. It's a heavy lift um, building this whole new school in the village of Tanchach. Um, and if folks want to check that out, learn more about it, and donate if they feel so moved, um, the website is pegpartners.org, P-E-G Partners dot org and uh we'll be happy to hear from folks there awesome david thank you so much oh, I, oh yeah i should say joe <laughs> we're also we're, we're doing a trip to guatemala this summer if anybody wants to come see for themselves um mm. so we'll be going down in june and there's information about that on the website too that would be awesome uh yeah and i i highly recommend everybody everybody go. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a big trip. No, yeah. But <laughs> we're going to hold it to 20. But, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. It, it is a different, there are just a lot, anytime you travel, I think it's um, it's just striking the all the little things that we take for granted, not just the tangible, but the intangible too. Um, and um, it's just, there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing really like it than seeing, realizing that it's not a given that, uh, society has to be constructed in any given way that it takes work to, to form the world you want, you want to see. Yeah, that's right. The, the way I often think about it is that I'm reminded when I travel that there are many kinds of normal. Mm. I love that. I love that. That might be the podcast title of the <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> many kinds of normal. There yeah, you go. Maybe. We'll see. But Joe, good to talk to you, buddy. Um, good to talk to you, too. Thanks for calling, and I'll look forward to the next time. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's the show. Once again, thank you so much to David for coming out. AbrahamJam.com for more of the Abraham Jam Project. PegPartners.org for more of the Guatemala work. Hope to see you at the next live Choose Your Own Religion on March 29th. I love you. Jamaste. 
Everything is Rent, a podcast about the Broadway musical Rent. Every week, we're joined by a hilarious guest to talk about one of Rent's 525,600 songs. We'll answer questions like, is Rent the best musical of all time? Has Rent aged well? Are they not going to pay Rent? The answer to all these questions is yes. That's Everything is Rent on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. Campfire.